You're in for a treat today. So we are we sat down with George DeFranca. And so George, I don't know that I've ever met someone with as much energy and uh, just love for life than this guy. I mean, the first time I walked in, I never met him before. I got the biggest bear hug in the world. And so uh, that was just, yeah, just a cool human being. Uh, you know, you and uh, you and George did a chapter together in, in Craig Levinson's book, Rehab of the Spine, and uh, which turned out amazing. And it's all about manipulation. Right. And George, you know, he had done a lot of training with Lynn originally, and George kind of, you know, he he borrows from a bunch of different things, and I mean, he is one of the best adjusters in the world that no one knows about, and uh, that and that's a shame. So we, you know, we really wanted to kind of expose like what George is really good at, and he is a tremendous manipulator, great palpator. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learned while we were there that he's got a new fascination with dry needling. Mm-hmm. So we were. You know, discussing how we integrate dry needling in with manipulation, which I thought was uh, really helpful. And uh, it, it's always kind of fun to see, like, as people are on this journey and uh, as being a clinician, how they find like these deep dives in certain areas. And he was definitely in a in a dry needling deep dive when we were when we were with him. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, the, I I just got such a great vibe. He practiced in this little awesome town in in uh, uh, Massachusetts, West Boylston. We had some amazing Thai food there too. Oh yeah, uh, that was insane. So. Uh, just like a, it was a really good uh, end cap to our trip in Boston, which if you haven't seen our, our Boston travel series, it's on our Instagram, it's on YouTube and stuff. And so we caught a, a Boston game and it was just a good good trip. And so uh, we were super thankful for, for George for sitting down with us. And uh, yeah. I think also it, it, it had such like a charming northeastern it's everything i would think of a of a town that would be in the northeast it was like outside of a major city and it's always good because we're here in troy missouri and you know other people you don't necessarily have to be in the epicenter of a big city to have a great practice or have a practice where people will travel from you know far far away to to see the to see a practitioner there and i mean george you know he's got people coming from everywhere so yep he's a stud so uh enjoy this uh conversation the energy uh, should get you going in the morning. So uh, thanks, guys. Have a good day. All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Gestalt Education Show. So uh, we are sitting down with, uh, I get, got to meet him for the first time today. So George DeFran- DeFranca. Yeah, you okay. go. I was always pronouncing DeFranca, so DeFranca. So we get the, the actual pronunciation right today. So uh, we're in West Boylton, Massachusetts. Uh, this is kind of uh, your, your home. This is uh, your, your practice. We're uh, uh, a great video of kind of the, the surrounding area and stuff that we took on the way in. So be sure to check that out on the YouTube page. Um, but George, George is obviously a chiropractic physician. Um, he's uh, well-versed in manipulation, one of the, the best in the world, as Brett would say. Uh, dry needling, fascial manipulation, basically everything. So um, what most people don't know is that you and Brett actually wrote a chapter together in Liebenson's new book. Mm-hmm. And so in the newest edition of Rehab of the Spine, uh, I can't remember, is it chapter 13 maybe? I don't know what number chapter. I think it was thirteen. Yeah. Thirteen, yeah. something Lucky like that. Thirteen. I think it was. So anyway, oh. anyway, uh, if you haven't gotten the new Rehab of the Spine, it's it's a great book, and uh, you guys' chapter on manipulation is honestly it's it's really really impressive. So um, how did that process start, and maybe how how was the collaboration between you two, and and uh, maybe just kind of talk through that process. Well, you can say because George, I got the call. Been, yeah. I got the call from Craig. Yeah. And he said we want to bring in Brett. I said sure, let's do the chapter. And so he wanted to revamp the chapter. So between Brett and I, we were just looking at the chapter, and Brett uh, put in some good input and made the chapter even better. And 
That's yeah. all she wrote. So it, was, yeah. it took a long time, though. Oh, it really did. We were bouncing it back and forth. And I think sometimes it's like a house. Sometimes you're better just to knock the house down and start <laughs> over. Like when you're doing, like when you're trying to add right. in. That was the hard right. part right. to make right. it all exactly. flow so right. good. Uh, but I think what was really neat for me is uh, George basically, I, I always say he's the best in the world of manipulation that no one knows about. Like, uh, thank you. I just feel mm -hmm. like, I mean, you're kind of tucked <laughs> away up here and, uh, you know, we have talks at uh, MPI of getting George back involved. And uh, so let's maybe start there. So who were your big influencers early on in the world of manipulation? Let's just well, start with that. Let's see, probably when I was in school, I started the national in uh, uh, 78 and in my sophomore year, about 80, I saw Len Fay for the first time in, in an MPI seminar. And it was like someone hit me in the head with a baseball bat. I never sat well with the bone out of place theories that I was being taught, the statics. Like, you know that RPIN, you'd manipulate it and it annoyingly stayed RPIN or posterior. I said, why, this bone out of place stuff isn't working or I'm not doing it right. And when Len talked about function and fixations and movement and gilets theory, I, I just like, I just took to it. It was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. Right. And that's when I started following him around. You know, I went to every seminar as a student. It was, it was amazing. Uh, yeah, okay, so Len, obviously. But then after Len, see, Len taught me, he, he opened my consciousness that there is function and also with Gile's thing of uh, working on one part of the spine, affecting the rest of the spine. And then I fell into the good graces of John Minnell. Um, at that time, well, he was, he's known as the father of American population. Yeah. And so we would have these uh, very intimate um, seminars at uh, either Peter Gale's office or someone else's office where there'd be just like 10 or 12 of us. And John Minnell would be, uh, George, uh, please uh, manipulate my radial carpal joint, please. So you'd have to get up and, and manipulate his joint. No, no, no. Too rough. <laughs> So he taught me the, the, the delicateness of manual uh, techniques and his variety of these classic manipulations, which I just took to like a duck to water, and, and I learned them very well. And he, he, he just had a sense of his diagnostic acumen was amazing to me. So I took that in from him. And then a little while later, <clears throat> Carol Levitt, was hitting the scene. You know, we're, we're talking back in the 80s here, right? <laughs> and him with his his chain reactions, and again, the how there's remote changes that occur because of the, the, the wonder of the, the nervous system, and how he was into the muscular system and uh, the very gentle mobilizations, and, and he wasn't really into manipulation like, like as chiropractors. You know, the thing about chiropractors, we're not afraid to go to end range where it needs it. It's an end range game. Yeah, it's an end range game. I like that. But it, Levitt, I love Levitt because of his wealth of knowledge and his, how he, again, the, the locomotor system and his chain reactions. So those three really launched my consciousness in a direction of function, mobility, and looking at the, the locomotor system, the neuro-locomotor system, the way, what I like to call it, in this global entity that needs to be looked at that way. And those are probably the three big influencers in, in my career. 
One of uh, uh, people who really had a huge influence on me was Clayton Skaggs. I know you know Clayton. Yes, yes. And uh, so what group were you? I know you went to Prague early. Were you in the first group or was it? I never went to Prague. Oh, you never yeah, did? I, for okay. some, yeah. Like I said, my office burnt down years ago. It was about that time. It was very crazy. Mm. I couldn't go anywhere. And, and even Craig was saying, oh, my God, I don't know how you did it. Your office burnt down. And you're, I had to scramble to get my practice going another place. That was about the time when, you know, people were going. The, my sister, Carol, and Scott. You know, Carol DeFrance and Scott Chapman. Yeah. Yeah, they're Kairos from Nashville. They went to Prague. Um, so I would get all the information from them mm. and, and from, from the grapevine. But... Uh, yeah, all a bunch of great doctors that have Clayton. Oh yeah, wonderful group of people. Oh gosh, yeah. yeah. yeah for sure. So um, why don't you give some inspiration or motivation to our listeners who are wanting to start uh, looking globally to finding like the key link? Like, what have been some of the things that have uh, allowed you to do that? Palpation, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, assessment. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. I mean, look, like I said before, it, this will be my 39th year in practice, and I'm, I'm think I'm just getting the hang of this stuff. <laughs> I'm no. serious. It is so complex, and what I find out that I think we overthink this. There are so many techniques that we have, and when I think back, because I'm always thinking about this, even now, like what's what's the the one or two things that really tick. It's not one or two things, because there's too many things that intervene on our nervous system. So what I, what I think is, because we overthink this, I strip it down to the, to the studs again. I go back to thinking of Faye and Manel, and I say, when a new patient comes in and they have all these symptoms, I'll take their major symptoms. I say, what's making you the most unhappy? Mm. So ah, my, my low back, all right, there's my thread that I pull. And then I pull it with more history, and then I start the examination. You know, the, doing the the stuff we all know how to do. Looking at them structurally, looking at where are they not moving properly, feeling their spine. Where's the most restricted area with a lot of soft tissue changes? You know, the locomotor response, the dysfunction. Now I got a a twine and a rope, and I'm pulling, and then I I look at their movement patterns until I can find it. Now this this problem in the upper cervical is. I know your low back is here, but we got some issues up here. It's just shouting to me. So what I do is I try to look at all the things that I see, and I try to intuit what's making the most unhappy. Yes, yeah, a low back pain, but I mean, how many times do you look at someone's feet with a low back? I mean, hopefully it's all the time. There's so much stuff to look at. Mm -hmm. You really only have a few visits to win them over, because you know that if they're going to be long haul, to really get corrections, most people are into uh, pain relief. I just have, in my head, I got three to six visits to get into them and teach them about their body and what really counts. So if it's a low back, let's say garden variety low back, all right, I might do some soft tissue, some fascial stuff into that lower back, definitely chiropractic. And then once I get the ball, once I intervene, and this is one thing, a friend of mine, Catherine Coulter, who's a homeopath, I'm also a homeopath, I don't practice as much. But she said, you have to dare to try. And with all this input that we see when we come to an exam room and all this information, you, you kind of boil it down to maybe three or four things, maybe two things if you're lucky, and you go, all right, you just have to intervene somewhere. Mm -hmm. And you have to assess what that intervention does. That's a big, you know, as you, as you, as I'm, I'm, you probably do what I do. I assess twice as much as I, I treat. So, 
when I assess, I intervene, and I go back and I treat globally. I want to see what happened to that reflex or that muscle tension or that trigger point by dry needling cervical dorsal uh, or by manipulating, uh, you know, the talus, what's happening to the erectors. And if nothing happened, okay, maybe I'm on the wrong, ah, just got to manipulate the SI. Good old chiropractic. And once I get that pelvis to explode, oh my gosh, your headache goes away. I keep it simple. <laughs> so I boil it down to, I first get the spine functional, at least get an intervention in the spine because the spine unwinds into the extremities. Right. I mean, a case, I've been having a lot of cubital tunnel syndromes lately. I've been doing a lot of uh, rehab and remodeling at my house and uh, pulling up floors and stuff. And I'm starting to get a lot of flexion, all this stuff. I had this cry, I actually had a release done years ago, starting to come back. And I found that, you know, here, here's the thing about practice and, 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 and the, the major fixation. Pain, especially extreme pain, it's very seductive for us clinicians and it sucks us right into that area <laughs> and it fools us every time. Yeah, okay, you can do like a, some, some anti-inflammatory stuff, but it's not the problem. And case in point, I was sucked into it. I had to ice my elbow. Yeah, I'm stretching this and, you know, had my back up, my, my upper back manipulated. And Linda, my wife, she, she's, I said, you know what? Just take care. I'm the worst patient. Just take over. I think when I, when I get up in here and peck minor, I start feeling an itchy feeling right in the tunnel. So it's got, it's, it's this and my upper dorsals. So we look at the myotones. I love dry needling because it's so chiropractic. I said C6, 7, 7, 1. Just needle cervical dorsal and get right into the myotome. Let's do the pec. And she got into that pec and, and did some deep needling in there. And I was feeling it in my elbow. It was like awesome. That day it was sore. The next day I woke up, I said it was 90%. Gone. I could actually wash my face and flex without any pain. And it, it was amazing how you could work on this all day. You know, releasing the fascia here, which she did, didn't do anything, except it hurt like hell. And it maybe it helped it a little bit, but it was all proximal spine. So when I work on that spine, I want to drive that reflex down into the extremity, whether it's upper or, or the, the, you know, the pelvis especially for the low extremity. Feet coming up, pelvis going down, cervical dorsals going out, and a lot of stuff in the chest on most people. And you know, you cut them in half, and that mid-upper thoracics, a rich area for me, for my symptom generation. So, you know, you have to dare to intervene, but you have to assess when there's a tree. You can't, you can't be, straddling this defensive indecision because you're, you're going to be lost, you're going to be upset, and you're going to be, it's too stressful to practice that way. You just got to really trust in the fact that the nervous system is vital and it's in trouble. These people are coming to you because they're unhappy. You're an expert in spine care. The chiropractic to me means nervous system. So I have a saying to pay, I tell all my patients, what I do is spine, nervous system, health and healing. The spine affects, is intimately related to your nervous system and from, with reflexogenic processes affects healing. So that's how I run it, both ways. So if I can normalize your spine, we can institute some normal normalization of spine mechanics and neur neural reflexes, which drives healing. What does the nervous system do? So the, I always come back to my roots 
keep it simple, get that spine moving, and then we see what happens to that. I, I let the spine tell me where that reflex is going, so with the dry needling we talked about. That is wonderful. It's just like you manipulate C7, CT1, and they're having upper extremity, um, um, let's say, uh, pain syndrome. Look at the myotome. Find the trigger points in the pronator, the wrist flexors. You manipulate here, all of a sudden they go away. The chain reaction, the, the flexor pronator group is not wired as much. It's not firing as much. So, and if it doesn't, when you manipulate here a dry needle, then you go into the periphery on that circuit and release that circuit bilaterally. Hmm. Yeah, that's really well said. What um, Maybe we could talk a little bit about the intimate relationship between joint blockage and joint restriction and soft tissue. I feel like in chiropractic, it's like it's almost like people separate that, which is pure insanity. How can you? So right? may, You can't. So maybe let's uh, get your opinion on maybe the causation of joint blockage. How do joints get blocked? What's your opinion on that? Uh, well, I think it, it's very posture driven because of abnormally loading joints. When a joint doesn't move properly for whatever reason, whether it's trauma, fibrosis, poor loading because of posture, poor movement patterns, that joint becomes stressed and then you may have a capsular shortening around that joint. So that, now you're starting to block the mobility. And you know, some of the things of uh, maybe an intra-articular entrapment could be there, but I think it's more of a, an adaptive shortening of the capsular ligaments. Hmm. And then you have the perispinal tissues the, and, and the, the musculature and the fascia, which then, because you have lack of movement, they're gonna adaptively shorten. And so what happens now that generates even poor movement pattern, more poor movement patterns, and that starts to spread. And then the spine is gonna to start to compensate for that. So barring trauma, I think poor movement patterns uh, generated by poor posturing. I mean, look at our society, we sit so much. Mm -hmm. That creates such a strain on the locomotor system mm -hmm. that things start to limit. We are made for movement, speed, agility. What do we do? We stuff our feet in containers and we walk on hard surfaces all day. What's that gonna do to those, to those 26 bones? You know, 28 if you count the two sesamoids. It just restricts them. Mm -hmm. And so if a joint is like, you know this, if I take a good elbow and put it in a cast, and take it out here for a few weeks, you won't be able to move. You've got now joint dysfunction, but you have soft tissue adaptive shortening. You've got a major problem now. And so that's because of a, an extreme case of lack of mobility. So if, if I'm able to do you know a nice pattern, but I never do that, you know, I'm in, in a computer for, for years, um, and I get the head forward posture, I get that adaptive shortening, all of a sudden things adapt, the joint now is functionally restricting because that's how you function. And then maybe you get uh, an injury, you turn your head, ah, and you get a capsulitis, inflammation, now we got fibrosis. So barring injury, obviously where the injury is inflammation of fibrotic change and scar tissue, I think how the body adapts to how we use it causes damage. Or, or wear on these joints. And obviously mechanical wear like osteoarthritis will cause a, a chipping away of that cartilage and then you have an inflammatory response and you have the healing and, and that's a whole, that's more of a fibrotic change. But you know, the nervous system generates a lot of movement, obviously. And if it's poor movement because of, of poor programming, because of stress, and here's another thing, you put emotional stress into this, and we got a whole 
another mess because if you're stressed, you're driving the biggest nerve in the body, the, the brain. If you're stressed, you know, you get that stress response. There's more tension in the musculature. You get the head forward. Now the, the cranial cervical areas is, is, is tightened. You get adaptive shortening. Now we get some joint dysfunction. And this thing is, well, is it a joint? Is it soft tissue? How can you separate that? Right. I mean, it's, it, that's the old bone at a place concept mm -hmm. of, yeah, I'm going to contact C2 and drive that home. Well, what about C2 to 3 or C2 to 1? How about C2 to 3, 4, and 5? I mean, you got connections into the upper thoracics. You can't, you know, this thing about specificity, I look at regions of the spine. Uh, unless I'm dry needling, because you could be specific with a needle. Mm -hmm. You can't be that specific with manipulation where it's exact. I mean, that's the art of manipulation. Right. I try to be specific, but the, in the real world, I, I get close. Mm. And as long, and it doesn't matter to me. I don't care if it's is it T12 or L1. I don't care. As long as they sit up and I go back and I say, oh, that region is much better. Not only that, but this region I didn't even touch is even better. Mm -hmm. That's what gives me, that's what's fun for me. When I see the change that I can put into a body, and when I see the patient go, what was that? You didn't even touch my neck. Man, that that is cool. That's what that drives me. Yeah, that same. That's awesome. Uh, so a lot of people, our listeners, probably going to know. Uh, George wrote a book called Pelvic Locomotor Locomotor Dysfunction, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm a proud owner of that book, and mm -hmm. I've I've gone through that whole book. Mm -hmm. uh, why did you choose the pelvis? What was the? Well, I got into chiropractic with a low back injury in college, and I had I had came to find out I had a spondy. This is back in 1970. Uh, 1975 when I was an undergrad and, and playing football I hurt my back and um, the medical doctor said there was nothing wrong and they, and they did x-rays and they said oh yeah you have a spondy and I said I was going home to see my dad's chiropractor who I thought was a quack anyway and he said no no you don't want to go they're going to paralyze you I said that intrigued my really my dad would send me to a butcher huh so I went home anyway and this little guy, Dr. Herman in Elizabeth, New Jersey, uh, you know, examined me, told me all kinds of neat things, and he said that my sacrum was out. And so he got me on the table, and he went through me left and right. I loved how what he, he did to me, how he talked to me, and what he said. And most important, when I got off the table, my like four or five months of sciatic pain was gone. I was 19 years old, I was bent over like a nine-year-old man. I couldn't play ball, couldn't do anything. I just had a lot of pain. And in one treatment, it just shocked me. When he said sacrum, that's when I decided to change my, my major to pre-med and go into chiropractic college. But when I went into school, that's where it was. I was into the pelvis and the sacrum because of what happened to me. Mm -hmm. When I went into practice, you know, and, and studying motion palpation, usually how powerful the pelvis, not only the, the articulation, but the ligaments, sacred tuberous ligaments in the pelvis and the, and the musculature, even the organs, how it's so, and it's our basis supports, our center of gravity. It was, it was an interest to me. And so I, I decided to, and I talked to John Manel about this. I said, you know, I, he said, well, why don't you write a book? I said, well, I'd, I'd like to, maybe the, the pelvis, the SI joints. He says, yeah, all right, well, write a book. 
So I did, and I had called a very prominent researcher in Canada, whose name shall be withheld, and he said, what are you doing that for? There's nothing to write about. That intrigued me even more, <laughs> because clinically, as a clinician, you know, I, 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 that's weird. So I, I wanted to, because what I was seeing and observing in practice, I just wanted to write about. And so when I called up Manel and I told him, he literally yelled at me, says, you know, in his English brogue, he says, you know, you've got to write down your opinion. That's what people want to hear is your opinion. And what does he know? I mean, you see this, and he was a big SI um, manipulator. He, he, he loved the manipulation of the SI, although his was kind of a strange manipulation um, compared to how we were taught. And so... I got into doing more studying and the anatomy. I actually drew the pictures in the book. And I just got into writing about the SI and the pelvis as, as a clinical, it's called the clinical approach, is a clinical entity and some of the things that, that would go around that. I want it to be more of like a manual. I know University of Bridgeport Chiropractic kind of picked it up as one of their, their course studies. I used to work there and, and brought brought in a, a spinal manipulation curriculum for them um, and, and, and taught that into that that uh, school. So it was just a passion of mine at that time. I go between that and the foot and you know the foot like Tom Michelle who, who I love and has really influenced me over the years even back then I'd be going to him for problems with my feet and with his wonderful publications um, when he would ask me to edit some of his books, I'd read his chapters and go, oh my God, this stuff is gold. So I would, I would just memorize every page in his books. And he taught me about so many things about the foot and how it relates. It just fell right into my paradigm. Mm -hmm. So I, I love the foot. It's one of my passions. And, and the pelvis and, you know, the whole spine stuff it just it just turns me on i just love it for our listeners um i still think you have the most underrated book on the pelvis and the one the name that we didn't mention that book that's also out there i think your book is better for that oh planet. thank you yeah it, thank it, you. it's so good it is so good Definitely. um so let's move on to your new fascination with dry needling. Oh, I love dry needling. Oh, because it takes my chiropractic uh, practice just to another deeper level. Because when you think it's like the old Merrick system, the old nerve tracing and Palmer did, where you know they go like C, like say, let's say L45, and they trace it out through all the myotomes, all the muscles on that L4 circuit. Let's say. Um, they would manipulate and they would work down where that nerve goes and work out all the trigger points and what have you. So when someone comes to me now, let's say I've, I've manipulated them and I've, and, I, uh, and I've examined, they have like a, let's say they have a, a right lower back pain and it goes into their hip, their posterior lateral thigh, down into their, their knee. I start thinking that the dermatome myotome, as they're telling me, you know, I got a sciatica when it's actually a sciatica, right? <laughs> and um, I coined that term, by the way, when I spoke at the Lumbar Spine Symposium. That was the name of my, my lecture was sciatica. And it's, it's, a, it's a pseudo-sciatica. And, and I, I think of L4-5, so with dry needling, I go right to the segmental area, l 4 and L5, I'll bracket, I'll do both sides, because I want to cut out the, the neurologic reflex at the spine by releasing the multifidi and their rain that they have on that motion segment, which releases. Now, Gunn, Dr. Gunn has a theory which, of radiculopathy, which 
because it's kind of a bone at a place theory. Mm -hmm. I think it operates more reflexogenically, not 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 hardcore bone at a place. So when I get in there, release the deep tissues uh, around that spinal segment, it will neurologically inhibit the pain response or the, the motor drive to that myotome. And if it doesn't, I'll go down and I'll, and I'll get that whole, what I tell, how I explain to my patients is Christmas tree lights. You got a circuit of lights, you take off one bulb and the whole damn circuit falls out. And you got to find out which bulb it is. <laughs> Well, that's how neurologically it's, it's in series. The nervous system is in series on those segmental circuits. And so I will find L4-5 and with a deep palpation, I'll lather them up. I'll get in with my thumbs on either side of the spine and I'll feel the bumps of multifidi on that side, L4-5. I'll mark that. I'll go out, I'll check the glutes, you know, both medius, uh, minimus, and TFL, and I'll derive it out down into the lower extremity. I'll find out which are bands or trigger points that need to be, or, or painful. So then I'll come back and I'll treat. I'll needle, all right, just like if I manipulate it. I'll needle four or five, both sides, because you'll get, you'll get reflexogenic effects bilaterally. And then I'll go back and I'll check, ah, that glute's still hot. And it's actually referring into their area of pain. So guess what? I'll then do what we call a level six needling. I'll get in there and, and try to get some twitches of that whole crescent of the glute media, uh, medius and then maybe minimus and TFL, the long lost gluteal sister, right on the front of the pelvis. So I'll, I'll hit that. Maybe I'll get into the part of the quads. We, we get the top of L4 and then maybe get into the, the tib anterior, if, if it's still hot. And then I just turn off that circuit, and I get amazing, because it's such a deep neurologic stimulation. Now, I can get in there with my elbow, and it hurts like hell to get really deep, because you, you got this big pressure. I get, I'm causing so much pressure to get down to a deep fascial area or, or muscle, whereas a needle, I could be pinpoint, and I tell them, it's gonna hurt. But you're not going to feel the needle. Right. What you're going to feel is your muscle hurt. So the needle is just pointing it out, literally pointing it out. And so they, you know, I never force it on them. But once they feel, and I go in slow, once they feel that, and they see the relief, and they, and I'll, I'll go down. And now you feel how that calf, that lateral calf, is less. Now we're dropping down to S1. It's awesome. Do you have a preference in your ordering of the dry needling before manipulation? Depends on the case. What's your? Uh, it depends. Like if I manipulate them, and um, you know, in a, in a course of treatment, and they're doing okay, and I said, you know, I just want to, I don't want to stimulate them too much. Um, I'll just do it the dry needling, and I do centrally out. I find the center, and it's always going to be in the spine. You're going to find a spinal segment. You cannot spine a spinal segment that needs to be needled in conjunction with a peripheral event. Mm -hmm. So I'll find the spinal segment and I'll look for the derm the myotome of that related segment. Mm -hmm. And I'll look the whole, and not just a muscle, but within a muscle you could have a fiber, a band mm -hmm. that doesn't refer. That's that's a neurologic entity within the muscle that's, that's being irritated by fibers coming out of the spine. So I release the spine and I trace that whole myotome Right? It's, that's how I manipulate. I'll manipulate L4-5, then I'll, I'll check proximal tib-fib, and I'll go down to the foot, always the, the ankle mortis, and the, depending on, again, with, with, uh, with, with um, Levitt's work, I, when I look at people, I look at chains. Is it a stance phase problem or a swing phase problem? It's a whole different, it's a shift of neuromeres 
based on the face of the gate. Mm -hmm. So then I'll go back up and I'll look at what segment is active and I'll just turn down the, the activation. So is that in the, the spinal segment when you're finding that segment, are you using uh, joint play there? Or is it just to see if they're hot? No, no, I'm, I'm looking at tension. Tension. Tension is, an articular tension is restriction. Right. You know, fascial tension is just thickening indurate of painful tissue. Muscle tension is it's tightness or a trigger point. So if I'm just gonna needle, usually that joint is blocked anyway. Four or five, it's all uh, very commonly blocked. But if I get with my thumbs on both sides, I'm at the head and the table, I'll get some lotion on my hands to feel and cut down friction. I'll get right on either side of the spine and I'll strip down deeply and I'll, you'll feel the bumps, the road bumps, the speed bumps right on either side of the spine. It's, it's very deep. You got, you got to get inside the, the, you're in the spinal laminar groove just on the inside of the, the erectors. And you want to feel the tension of the, the multifidi. And that's important because they're segmental. And they're innervated by the, 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 um, the dorsal ramus of, the, of coming out of the, the spinous process below. So, or below the spinous process there. So that's when I feel the spinous process and I feel that multifidus bump, usually it's bilateral, but one side's more tighter that's where I'm going to needle and you know if there's joint dysfunction there you know I'll just feel it just, you know, get on that spinous and then I'll, I'll joint play it and then I'll know there four or five I mean how many people do not have a four five or five one stiffness in there mm -hmm. you know or, or tightness you know even if it's even if it's hypermobile like four or five commonly is hypermobile um, I'll needle it, I won't manipulate it, because there's an active neurologic aberrancy there that's driving that circuit. Mm -hmm. And I want to turn off that circuit or, or normalize the circuit. So typically I'll do that. And in a full treatment, I might manipulate, let's say four or five or SI, needle the needle segmentally, and then I'll come back up, because usually the foot, I'll work at usually lateral column, I'll be in cuboid, a calcanean cuboid. And that's another thing. I can't stand when they talk bones instead of, because we manipulate joints, right? right? So I'll work on the foot. Usually it's a stance phase when I'm at L4 or 5, and I'll work back up to the spine. And it totally diffuses that, that uh, chain. Then we got to find out why is that recurring? You know, usually because their footwear or their posture or whatever, or the other side, the, you know, short leg, long leg. There's so much stuff. That's why you start, assess, and see where the body takes you. And you know it, you know it. You, there's so many things that people need. They're never going to do it. Mm -hmm. They're not going to do the exercises. They're not going to wear the orthotic all the time. And I love orthotics, but orthotics are crutches. Mm -hmm. Can we just normalize function and let the body adapt to that asymmetry that everyone has? Mm -hmm. you, you can't, we can't do it all. And I get caught up in wanting to do it all in my early years. Yeah, I want yeah. to do everything mm -hmm. for a patient. And first of all, they can't come in as much and they couldn't afford it. So you had to be realistic. And so over the years I've been priding myself in and re reducing how many visits it takes me to get someone out of pain, but more functional. Well, that's perfect. Because I'm a realist. They're not gonna go through all the friggin' exercises, the functional training, all the stuff we know how to do. Some will, the athletes that are driven will. Mm -hmm. But Joe Schmo, 
He won't. But I, to do him service, and I tell him, you can come in here and do this, come in here and do this. What do you want? A lot of them just want the Band-Aid. But I know if I give them a Band-Aid and kind of get in some function and they see the change, they'll say, yeah, well, can we, can we, you know, my shoulder's been bothering me too. Well, what? Your left shoulder has to because your right hip is bare, and you got that sling that goes across. And then we start talking funk, and then they start coming in. Maybe, and you know what? I don't treat as much. Like, you know, in the early days, I'd be, yeah, someone comes in, we'll see them daily for a week, and then three times a week for maybe two weeks, and then start to peel them off. Now I'm treating them like, because I'm so busy, I'll treat someone for one or two visits in the first week, and then they start moving along. Because the treatments that you do when you do like dry needling and the manipulate, even when you manipulate, a, you know, Gilet's major fixations, the body needs, because those are very stiff, um, they're, they're very hard to deal with these, these fixations. To the, the spine has to really compensate. So when I get in there and manipulate one area of the spine four, five, six times directions, and then do some soft tissue releasing, I want to let that cook and, and recalibrate for about five to seven days. So I'll, I'll do that, and then I'll say, why don't you see me in a week? You know, we'll let things settle down. Call me if there's any problems, you know, uh, and then we'll see how it goes. How long are your treatment sessions? Oh. Well, okay, the first exam is usually about an hour. And then uh, the second visit's about, I, I give about 20 minutes, maybe 30. I Because I want to, again re-educate and instill in that first visit I want to really because they're going to get sometimes I treat them at the first visit mm -hmm. you you the exam maybe I'll do like a like a an emergency type of like a myofascial release or foot manipulation or something but the next visit I look at their case I said all right so let's let's get at some major dysfunctions all right but a regular visit after that it's like 15 minutes I book because I'm very laser focused, I'm not going to do everything. I have a plan in my head. I sit them on the table. I do a scan. I always do a scan. I do the motion scan, sacrum the occiput. I find, I, I derive out the really stiffest area, and I let them feel it. And that's what I'll I'll get them down. I'll manipulate. I'll I always go to the spine. I'll release that as best I can. Manipulate. I'll do soft tissue. I'll do myofascial work, and then uh, sometimes. And I kind of. I jerry-rig things a lot, so sometimes if I see, gosh, you know, he's got that, what's called a, a, a spiral sequence in fascial manipulation, like left shoulder, right hip. So he's got a right, right low back pain, but he's having like left scapular pain. And, but I checked his cervical, they don't feel too bad, it's that fascial plane. So while they're, I manipulate, let's say, mid-thoracic, they're there, I'll work out the, the, the fascial points along that, that, what we call the oblique the posterior oblique, the spiral. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not a whole fascial treatment. And then I'll turn them over, I'll do the anterior, the, you gotta do the anterior sling, so which is you peck to the anterior hip, the opposite hip. So I'll work that out. And then I'm basically done. I'll sit them up, I'll re-motion them, see if it, we did what we did. So, all right, see you next week, or I'll see you this week, if they're, depending on the schedule. Um, about, 80% of the time, I'll always do an extremity with the spine because I want to get that back into the reflex. So if it's up, if it's from T6 up, um, like shoulder, like elbow, wrist, I'll, I'll just check it. And you know, usually, you know, out and through here, I'll do a lot of dry needling into the wrist extensors or supinator with that lower cervical. Um, and in the, I'm always into the foot with low back.
um, even even thor thoracolumbar, always into the foot, proximal tip fib. Knee, knee is such a mobile joint unless there's a, a, a meniscal block that needs to release. The hip, the foot and the hip, they're, they're tremendous joints. And it's not just the articulation, it's the soft tissues and ligaments around them. You know, that subtalar joint, what I love about the foot, when I used to teach the foot, I, the, the, thing, the three things that I loved about it were the talus has no muscular attachments, none. So it floats in a sea. It's condemned to float in a sea of joint play. And it's, it's, it's hooked up with ligaments to surrounding articulations. So if there's a problem with cuboid, calcaneus cuboid, talus is going to feel it. And so now you could have talar pain. But that mortise joint needs to be attended and the subtalar joint to make sure that that floats around. And the P tibialis comes on the medial side. It inserts to every tarsal except talus mm -hmm. and middle three metatarsals. And so that has a lot of governing on the medial side and you got the, the, the P longus coming around the cuboid, giving that basket on the other side. And when I, when I see that, how it's just, it's, it's slave to all that joint play, how can you not assess subtalar and mortise joint function because one's involved with swing phase, the other's involved with stance phase, and it drives those circuits, two circuits, one going down. And it's phasic. When you look at a spine, the, the, the cord, if you looked at a uh, um, EMG or like neural, neural imaging, what you'll see like the upper lumbars, they'll start to light up on swing phase, and then at heel strike, the, the lower. The, the, the phasically, the light up, it's like a, like a drag race. You see the trees light up. You'll see this come up, and then you'll, you'll see this dance. And it's on the opposite side if you had two trees. Mm -hmm. And so you, that's the chain reaction. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always in the foot. Because mm -hmm. it gives me such a powerful access into the locomotor system. And when you think about it, and I tell my patients this, your foot is the first part of your anatomy that literally touches your environment every day, the minute you get out of bed. And it's geared neurologically to sense terrain, you know, angle, friction, to give that information to the drive to get you to locomote. And if that's screwed up, which whose isn't? It drives poor, you know, sensory motor. It drives poor motor output. We see that in posture, poor movement patterns, pain. Mm. So that's why the foot is so important. Foot, pelvis, you know, and, and actually all the transitionals. I'm, I'm mostly in the foot, pelvis, like, like thoracolumbar is big, and, and that hole from six, six to one, and obviously upper cervicals. But I do a lot of like cervical, dorsal, mid-thoracic, pelvis, in, you know, in addition to the foot. There's a lot of debate on what we should be doing with uh, the anterior articulations on the rib cage. Do you do, do anything special with? Yeah, I do. Well, well uh, pectoral release. Okay. Uh, the pec major has a vast amount of strong attachments right onto the costal cartilages and. Um, serratus. So I'm working on a lot of those, usually with dry needling, PNF stuff, and then uh, getting the the sling in the back to get that that reciprocal inhibition because these muscles are so inhibited in the back, the external rotators because they're so dominant by the subscap and the the pec. So to release those, and then you can train. You know, one of the best. You know, Brueggers, and in training. Um, 
extension, supination extension drive to get all of this trained because that's our posture. We're, we're in the flexion is to do like a functional Brugger's is to train that to get more balance. There's so much tension in the front and here's where you see it. And I love that term, what, Titsi syndrome? Mm. Give me a break, you know? <laughs> These are pain points from locomotor system dysfunction of the, of the pec major. And then you move out here and you get into the minor. And then you get that, you know, the thoracic outlet syndrome. There is so much stuff with that pec minor. And I love dry needling, getting into pec minor because it releases that, the scapula and then getting and needling the subscap and, and trying to facilitate serratus. That is such a hard muscle to, uh, to facilitate. That whole upper quarter is key and mm-hmm. tipping up that, that scapula. Lynn and I have had a, a lot of fun uh, arguments, if you will, on he loves his ipsilateral low cervical spine, that joint blockage, and he's got a matching ADP, you mean? ADP, yeah. yeah. So I have always... We've talked about this a little bit, but go ahead, go ahead. Well, so, I mean, and uh, we just respectfully kind of disagree with each other on that. Mm -hmm. Um, Lynn's argument is that he agrees that it is hypermobile, but he thinks that it's hypermobile from a P to A direction, but it's actually restricted A to P. I always feel like I see what I I can Mm -hmm. see what he's saying, but to me it's more like scaling tension that Mm -hmm. is that joint blockage. So my question to you is... Do you believe in that joint blockage? Do you manipulate that? Do you? What's your opinion on it? Yeah, absolutely. But it's not because we're not adjusting just joints. We're adjusting. Yeah, the the, the fascia on the front of the neck. You know, you get down to those those deep uh, uh, muscles in the front and the, and the scalenes. But also because people are in that that position, the head forward, where those lower cervicals actually flexed. You have a lot of flexion restriction because they've adaptively shortened and that A to P, I feel the restriction. Yeah, P to A is very, you know, you get an axis shift of, of rotation, the instantaneous axis shifts. But I'm, when I manipulate, when you watch how you manipulate, you're not doing articular, manip- you're taking fascia, skin, scaling. It's, take, it's like taking a big towel, wrapping it around, and then you lock it out and you just create mobility into that. I try to get as low as possible. I'm like, like C6, 7 because I agree with you. 5, 6 is very hot oftentimes. And I would never adjust it if it were hot if it were chronically fixated. And let's face it, cervical dorsal is not C7, T1. It's like C6 to T2. Right. Just like thoracolumbar, it's like maybe T10 to L2. And so when I talk about specificity, I'm looking at regions. So when I see the A to P really low, I'm thinking of cervical dorsal. And so what I would do is, if I think it's hypermobile, and you'll know if it's hypermobile, then I'll needle it. You know, I will needle, especially the, the, the segmental areas back there, but I will definitely release that maybe I'll come down to seven, one, two, and and ease up on that five, six. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you, and I agree with Len, but it's kind of a blending. But I certainly would not stay away from manipulating this. Okay. But obviously, you gotta release ten if you if you got pectoral tension pulling you down, like my tie and you get this halter effect, now you're gonna have pain in here. So 
his upper cervical is gonna be blocked. Many times you release that upper cervical and this starts to normalize, or upper dorsals, that starts to normalize. If it doesn't, and this is still stiff, hey, you know what? It's gotta go. And then we see what happens. It might not be the first thing I do, right, on a case. They got neck pain and radicular pain. I, I'm not going in there and manipulating that. I might, I might do a release of his scalenes and his pecs and look at the myotome, but you could bet I'll be manipulating. If, if, if I can't leverage through the cervical spine to get oxygen, I'm going for that mid-upper thoracic and doing a lot of fascial stuff and, and then working into the extremity just to kind of let that go. And usually that kind of calms down. And if it starts to calm down, I'll still I'll work other air till it really calms down, and then I'll say, yeah, you know what? It's it wasn't that big of a problem, or you know what? It's got first rib is right in there. You can't separate. You can't be specific. First rib. You got the scalenes. You got what is it? Lower cervical. I don't know. It's just a restricted area. It's got to move. I'm a chiropractor. Here we go. Let's go. Let's go, baby. Right. So, you know. Yeah, That's awesome. how I look at it. Awesome. One time I heard uh, George did a seminar in this <laughs> rehab thing, and I was there, and he said, uh, somebody asked him about, like, when he would use manipulation versus mobilization, and his answer, I still haven't forgot, he goes, so Well, I was actually manipulating someone then. Yeah, okay. All right, we were doing an A, I matter of fact, it was an A to P, I think, and I went, and I, I just felt it had to go, and I just... It blew through it, and it was a—it was kind of a heavy manipulation. I don't like to be heavy-handed, but it was—I wouldn't say heavy, but it was a good stroke. And you said to me, you he, he goes, to, you, he goes uh, "Sometimes you just need the hard stuff. Sometimes you got to bring the hard stuff." And uh, he just, <laughs> oh my god, he's so close to it all the time. Yeah, it's so good. So, what about uh, who influenced you in dry needling? Who was your? Um, well, my brother-in-law, Doug Kennedy, who's a chiropractor in Boulder, Colorado, he's, he's been doing it for 100 years, and he's excellent with it. Uh, and then and one of my, my best buddies, uh, like a brother, uh, John uh, uh, Merrick, who's a chiropractor DC, graduated from National. Uh, he's been doing it for a long time. He actually is on the teaching circuit teaching it. Um, and so he got me into getting certified into it. I, I've, I've been trained in classical Chinese acupuncture when I was in school, but I never got licensed to do it. I just, you can't do too many things good, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I just stayed with manual care, but I would do acupressure. I would do some needling on the side, but formally I haven't been doing needling until I got trained by John with dry needling. And I've read, I read Dr. Gunn's book a hundred times, you know, years ago. And it fascinated me because it's like chiropractic, mm -hmm. right? The way he writes, you're familiar with that. And, and, and when I saw how it was going and how it affected my pay and myself, like I needle myself on, on the extremities, I said, wow, this is, this is awesome. I see the nervous system and you know, when you do the, the, the classic assessment, skin roll, you know, the matchstick test, which I do, which is awesome. All the, all the classic soft tissue findings that are reflexogenic from neural irritation, that's what turns me on and how they change when you manipulate or you dry needle. I mean, that, it's like you, you really see how you, it's just, it's just wonderful. In this, uh, evidence-based movement, let's just say, 
there's a group of people that think that uh, there's no reliability in palpation. They think palpation is, mm -hmm. we shouldn't do it, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Can you motivate our listeners on how important palpation is? Because I know we, we mm -hmm. think the same way on that. So mm -hmm. can you let people know? Because there is smart people out there, mm -hmm. and the students are literally being told that you can't palpate. There's no reliability. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's, a, it's honestly a huge problem right now. Yeah, so, so if you have an itch and you scratch it, you're palpating, and it's pretty damn accurate because you can get that itch to go, right? <laughs> well, if you're palpating a joint years, and yeah, look, it's a skill that you need to develop. Yep. Some people just don't have it. They don't They don't get it. A lot of people do if they put the time in, and it's, and it's on multiple, you don't just check for joint play, you're checking for all these, these, these soft tissue changes as well. But when you feel a joint blockage, and you're doing your own research, your, your own closed system, because you're doing the same thing every time. It's like not me, we could palpate someone, I could palpate, you could, maybe we'll get close, we might not get accurate because you're a little different than me, and then we get another patient in here, a whole different system, maybe it's a little different, but, but it's close. But if I'm the one seeing that patient for the next 12 visits, it doesn't matter what the hell you find, as long as I find, and I'm consistent, then it's going to work with me. No one researched me, right? And these researches that they do, they're, they're not really well, they're not really well uh, organized. And the way they do it, and I think there's a bias in there too, a, a, a operator bias in there when they, when they do that. Palpation is very subjective. It's hard, but you can make it somewhat objective. And my question is, why is, why is joint palpation such a bad word when Palpation in standard medicine, standard diagnosis, it's one of the four cornerstones of examination. It's palpation. Right. You know, you got auscultation, you got all those other. Well, why do they do that? Is that accurate? Can I feel my liver? I'm not sure if that's your liver. I'm pretty sure it knows it goes, but I know where my liver is, and that's, you could find my liver. That's palpation. The problem with joints is they're so deep and they're covered with stuff, but you got that spinous as a lever, and if you can. I think again, people overthink it and they overpress, and they're already testing uh, T6 when they're at L4. You know, if you just apply, you'd be surprised at how gentle you could be to pick up that subtle, subtle feel, that tactile feeling. And these researchers, they haven't done that. I don't think I don't think they have done that. No, they haven't. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, that was well said. What are your audits? We talked about joint play, trigger points, bands and muscles. You use the term reflexes. What are the things besides the patient coming back and saying whether or not they're subjectively better or not? What are you? What are the things that you're checking? Well, I always do a scan. I sit them down. I do the classic gilet scan. You know, I used to have the, the stools. I burnt through those so many times that look, forget it. I'm just going to use the table. So I get the table apart. I'll do the scan. You know, derive out one or two majors. You know, I don't just do one area. I used to do it. Sometimes I do. Like today I did on a, on a, a hot cervical. I did mid-upper thoracic. But I'll do the scan first, and then I'll manipulate them, and I always come back to the scan every day. It, come, it starts and ends my visit, and they know that. So that's it, and I'll say, you know, you know, two weeks under, hey Bob, you remember how this was so painful and stiff? Yeah, my gosh, it's so much better. Even even my back. They'll that my audit is spinal mechanics. That's what I am a chiropractor. I don't like that word. I'm a chiropractic physician, right? I want to increase spine biomechanics. 
and the nervous system is going to tell me how hey that trigger point feels better it doesn't have an LTR you know local twitch response it's an objective finding you can use algometers and all that stuff I don't I'm, I'm very low-key I'm very uh, low overhead you know just that's it I just have a black and white let's keep it simple there's so many things He's I all can, about the money yeah, yeah. there's so many things we can <laughs> Run him through. Come yeah, on. Let's go. It's just a mill here. Yeah. Right, 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 bill right, come on. Right, right, right. So keep it simple. Look at the nervous system. My audits are spine movement or, uh, yeah, patients, you know, they can do the pain diagrams, how they feel, but how their spine is progressing. You look at your notes and they'll know. And then look at reflex changes, the soft tissues, the skin roll. Mm -hmm. Uh, muscle trigger points, muscle tight bands, straight leg raise. Can you do a squat now? Can you do a bridge? You know, you do the functional movements. So you, and guess what? I can walk 30 minutes now when before I could only do 10. Bingo, there's a nice outcome. Mm -hmm. So I, I go into their ADLs and say, okay, what's, where are you most unhappy? Well, I can't, I can't play golf anymore. All right, let's do some putting and short range stuff. And pretty soon, yeah, I, you know, I did my a drive for the first time. My back hurt, but it wasn't nearly as bad. Where before, he couldn't even do a driver. So I look at my, my their ADLs, which is probably the most important, because that's where they're going to see yeah, it. That's why yeah. they're, they're. And then right here. here, right here, I do for me. I look at physical changes that I found on exam. Reflex, you know, the classical reflex motor. Uh, but if it's not particular, I look at the soft tissue changes, the locomotor responses, and chain reactions. You know the the uh, you know the hip extension, all that stuff. Um, but I try to keep it soft and just be in the process and kind of be like a uh, an observer of their healing response. And it, it it it's easier on me. Like before, I said I tried to do everything and I was I was beating myself up. How come this person's not getting better? Guess what? I realized that's not my responsibility to get them better. My responsibility is to do a damn good job at assessing and get fixing what I can fix and let them do the healing and then teach. Doctor means teacher. So to teach them. That's all. And if they don't get better, I'm not the guy. So you know what? You need to find, you go to this guy. That's liberating for the clinician. You know, like once you get liberating. Yeah, you know, when you're My first five years of practice, maybe same. eight years, man, I beat myself yeah, up. Same. Man, I'm the worst chiropractor. I'm a fraud. I can't. I can't do. I can't believe. It. I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm out teaching on the road. <laughs> My patients aren't getting better. I feel bad. <laughs> what? Uh, we we all know like specificity with manipulation is kind of a joke. But do you do you believe it's important to like really palpate a spinal segment? Let's just say in three planes of motion. Yeah, I or do. do. You think it's no because you're not testing so much articulation so much because articulations aren't just articulate you're checking vectors housed by ligament systems so when you manipulate yeah you're 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 like a like a true major is ligamentous fixation you're you're not going to get into that you're not going to cavitate that joint you might you might get it like a little squeak or like down the road you might you might today. but you're gonna you're gonna open up that you're gonna get that ligament to stretch and it's probably fibrotic the multifier probably infiltrated with fibrosis and you got the erector so it's a mess so to get into that train wreck you got to go and, and maybe mobile I'll do heavy like grade four mobilization in all those vectors and maybe I'll get one to release with a grade five I'll always try a grade five or I'll get them up into a grade five and I'll just oscillate oscillate maybe just try to coax um, but but never like never wrestle 
or 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 overimposed. Right. So yeah, yeah, multiple directions, absolutely. Um, but you know, if you like the spine couples, so I'll do more of a coupled type of motion. I'll get various vectors at once, right? Perfect. Look at that. Anything, awesome. anything else be done? Ooh, the last question would just be. Um, how do we motivate slash inspire people to look at some of these extremity joints that you know they overlook? Let's say proximal tip fit, oh, distal gosh. tip fit. Oh gosh, what's SC the matter joint. with you? Yeah, so you what? have to. I think the only way to do it is first of all, learn learn, learn a few of these like proximal tip fib. I mean, your hamstrings hook into that, and you got a bad ankle sprain. It's going to affect both the both ends of the, the fibula. Just learn to, and then mobilize them, and see what happens. Look at do a do a straight leg raise, mobilize both ends of the fibula, and see if it changes. Maybe not. It's, it's usually not a major, uh, unless there's some fibrotic trauma. I had a I had a person that had uh, uh, like a plate put in there and a bar and all that stuff. So it's causing a lot of uh, tension. But all I have to tell you is. We're not just spinal. The spine drives activity into the extremities. And now if you have a dysfunction in the extremity and it takes a life of its own, now you get this reverberation back up into the spine. And it's going to play the spine like a violin. And if you don't take care of that, you are doing the service to that patient. Wow, that's well said. That's awesome. Well, uh, we're, we're hitting up almost on our hour mark. We try awesome. to keep these short, yeah, but uh, right. it's uh, what an amazing conversation. I think that, that my key takeaway is, uh, George, you, how long have you been in practice? It'll be 39 years this October, this you, September. Yeah. The passion that you exist and like it, it radiate is uh, intoxicating, which is, uh, just, it's it's good refreshing. That's why we're wanting to do these things is to get into people's practice because uh, meeting people like you and, and feeling how much you love this profession and love treating patients is uh it's motivating for me it's motivating i'm sure for brett and uh, motivating for our viewers so thank you very much i think too awesome. we have uh the real mccoy here too on like looking globally i think a lot of people yeah. give lip service exactly. to it yeah. like they, everybody yeah. wants to say that and then other people aren't yeah. so good at actually buying yeah. into what you talked about mm -hmm. today um what a pleasure yeah. you are an absolute mm -hmm. icon in the profession not enough people know who george is but we're gonna we're gonna change we're that. gonna change that, that. Yeah. all right <laughs> so, uh, thank you guys so much awesome. Awesome. Uh, keep uh, keep being in, intrigued and keep uh, keep investing in your absolutely. patients and uh, good things are going to happen. Yeah. So. I'm just going to hang of it. I'm telling you, <laughs> <laughs> one of these days, right? right. All right, the la last uh, last treatment is going to be your best, right? That's right. That's a love it. Yeah, I love right. it. All right, guys, have a great day. Right, good. See ya. Beautiful.